Welcome to 101 Stage Adaptations. I'm your host, Melissa Schmitz. I'm a theater artist and arts administrator, and I wrote my first stage adaptation when I was 22. Now I'm interviewing playwrights about their own adaptations, their creative process, and how they make it all work. Welcome back, welcome back. Today, I am joined for the first time by not one, but two guests for the interview today. And um, it's two reps from the Dramatist Guild, y'all. So that's amazing. And they're going to talk about the program End of Play. So get ready. Lily Dwoskin is a book writer, lyricist, and playwright based in New York. She is a graduate of NYU's Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. Her book writer lyricist credits include Off-Broadway, Turtle on a Fence Post at Theater 555, and The Scarlet Savior at St. Luke's Theater. Other credits include Hyena and Petticoats and The Aviatrix. Originally, Lily is from the greater Philadelphia region. Lily's work has been performed at St. Luke's, the Lori Beachman Theater, the Green Room 42, Hedgerow Theater Company, various universities, and more. Lily works for and is a proud member of the Dramatist Guild of America and has worked as a director, dramaturg, teaching artist, and stage manager. Jordan Stovall is a playwright, arts administrator, and drag artist known as Wanda Whatever. They presently serve as the Director of Outreach and Institutional Partnerships for the Dramatist Guild, where they have worked since 2016. Their plays have been shortlisted and selected as finalists for the Eugene O'Neill Playwrights Festival and Relentless Award with productions in London and the U.S. As a drag artist, they are the founding producer of Time Out London Award-nominated Cabaret Boulangerie and Fussy, a series of queer community gatherings. They can be seen on Pistol and Meet the Richardsons. They have performed in Bushwick, Berlin, and New York City, Sink the Pink, Clapham Grand, Royal Vauxhall Tavern, and other notable venues across London, New York City, and the U.S. Please welcome to the show Lily Dwoskin and Jordan Stovall. Hello to both of you. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Okay, so people who listen to this show know that I like to start at the very beginning, and so... I'm going to ask you both, what is your first theater memory? We'll start with Lily. So when I was five, um, I actually went to see a production of Christmas Carol um, that my cousin played Tiny Tim. He's also five. Um, And I remember being uh, very enchanted by the whole thing um, and baffled. Um, And so that was the first time I remember ever going to the theater um, the first time I ever participated in the theater, I was in um, some community theater with my mom. We used to do it together, but we, uh, we've we done a bunch of shows. I think Bells Are Ringing was our first one. I was like seven. That's so sweet. I love it. Jordan, what about you? I would say, uh, so I'm originally from Florida, uh, which is where I am now. And there's a theater company here called American Stage, and they're still in operation. I actually went uh, to check out one of their new play festivals two weeks ago. But uh, they have a huge focus on on theater for young audiences. And I remember going to see a production of Charlotte's Web um, when I was super, super tiny. Um, and they also host like a, a bunch of theater camps. So I don't know. I must have been very inspired by Charlotte's Web. It must have done something uh, for me. Because I went on to do their their summer theater camp when I was in like fourth or fifth grade, and it was all just very silly and fun. We made like paper mache masks and 
Um, and we performed on like a local stage at the Palladium Theater, which was really nice and, you know, really exciting and nerve wracking for a young person. Um, but we I remember performing like a scene about selling noses on a commercial, um, <laughs> like, and like how Oreos smell like feet and just like very silly stuff. Um, but it was, it was really fun. I really liked it. <laughs> Obviously. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So then how did you both decide to make a career in theater and what did that path look like for you from like pre-professional to where you are now? We'll start with Jordan this time. I would say theater is where I first found my community. It's where I first found my people. Um, you know, like as a, as a young queer person, it can be a little hard sometimes to find, you know, where you feel comfortable. And I didn't have a lot of friends uh, for a long time when I was younger. And then around uh, seventh or eighth grade, um, I discovered, I just, I mean, I, I had taken, you know, summer camps and stuff, but it wasn't until then that I, that I discovered uh, more of what theater can be and what it is. Um, so I started to become actively involved in like middle school and then in high school, um, you know, theater productions. I remember going to see them as like a freshman and like, you know, seeing the juniors and the seniors who were like the uber talented stars of like our theater department and really looking up to them. And um, it, all, it all sort of started for me there. And I started to take it seriously and, and decide that's what I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, I, I ended up really practicing as much as I could in high school and then going to college for it. Um, and I think I, I went about it the same route a lot of folks do, you know, when they're younger, which is like a, an entry through performance. Um, and the more that I got involved, the more I realized that there was a lot more that could be done with theater and a lot more that, that um, a lot more involved with theater making. So through that, I was able to discover, um, you know, playwriting um, and uh, service and support as like my and advocacy is like things that I'm mostly passionate about. Um, and also drag performance where I was able to take some of that beginning, um, beginning passion for performing and translate it into something that um, felt more grounded and, and like my relationship with gender and, um, and speaking directly to the queer community. Um, so yeah, uh, hmm. it was a long and winding road. Um, it's still still winding, but um, for sure, I, always I feel is. lucky to be able to do it every day. Um, and with folks like Lily. Well, how to follow that? <laughs> um, <laughs> when uh, I was a kid, um, actually, my whole family was sort of in, involved in theater, uh, not professionally, but uh, in a community way. Um, and my aunt who is a band teacher, uh, who is a band teacher, um, also ran a children's theater program on Saturday mornings. Um, and it was like not in my local community because she lived about an hour from me, uh, but my parents would drive me every Saturday morning uh, to be part of that. Um, and we got involved, we, we would do whole musicals um, and we were involved in uh, building the sets, like painting them, you know, with the adults. Um, we with like behind the scenes with the costumes. And then uh, my dad used to play in the pit orchestra and my mom would sell candy in the lobby. And it was like a whole family thing. Um, so I feel like I've always been part of the theater. 
Um, and then when I got a little bit older, I would do the school shows and the this community theater. And then at some point, my parents were like, you got to focus on school too. So I had to pick one show at a time. <laughs> oh. um, but I, uh, I went to college and switched quickly um, from performing to directing as I found a lot. Um, I, I found that it was much more rewarding um, to at the end of at the, at the opening performance uh, to sit in the audience and look at what you made. Um, and it wasn't actually until after college that I realized that you feel that even more so as the writer. Um, and I, and I pivoted a little bit. I, um, I did a fellowship at a theater, um, Hedro theater, um, after college where I spent two years and I lived there and, uh, worked there and did everything that they asked me to do <laughs> from performing to <laughs> gardening. Um, I, you know, cleaned the toilets and sold tickets in the box office, um, and stage managed. And, uh, I, I once, ran a light and soundboard um with one rehearsal because somebody got sick it was it was one of those experiences where they just like throw you in and then you learn a lot um but that is where i learned that i wanted to be a writer because i was asked to write um for the education outreach program and i distinctly remember i got into the tech and the director asked me what i was envisioning for a certain prop and that was when i realized um that this is where I want to be. Like it, it was all mm. there because of the words that I wrote. Um, mm. So I then went to grad school at NYU for musical theater writing because musical theater is the closest to my heart. Although I always mm. love playwriting too. Um, and that kind of forced me to move out of Pennsylvania into New York, mm. you know, big bad city. Um, and I did my internship at um, Drama to Skilled and just stuck with it after that because I love DG. And they didn't let you go. They made <laughs> you stay. And then I stayed. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, that's a perfect segue to my next question. Would one of you briefly tell us what the Dramatist Guild is? <laughs> Who wants to take it? <laughs> um, first of all, come on, multi-hyphenate. Um, okay, Dramatist Guild. Uh, Dramatist Guild is... Um, an advocacy organization that uh, that represents the best interest of, of writers, theater writers. So that would be playwrights, composers, lyricists, librettists, um, or anybody who writes for the stage. And uh, obviously, you know, it, it, USA is a big country. Um, there's a lot of states. Um, there's a lot of theater happening. Uh, so we have been around for the last hundred years or so. Um, advocating for best business practices, um, giving career and business advice to writers, being there for them when they, when we, they need us in terms of uh, contract review, uh, template contracts, standardizing things like uh, best practices for contests and festivals, um, a bill of rights for, for dramatists that just tells them essentially what their basic rights are as as working writers in the field and before the dramatist guild these things didn't exist so it wasn't a standardized industry and that can be uh fun and exciting but it can also lead to uh folks you know uh entering bad business deals or or 
um, being taken advantage of. I think one of the things we see a lot with writers is that because they do a lot of the work first, uh, once things go into production, they're often forgotten about. Um, and you see things happening like, um, like uh, unauthorized changes to scripts, which changes author's intent. Uh, you see things like censorship or shows getting canceled, like what we've just seen in Florida in the past couple of months. Um, so the Dramatist Guild is there to uh, help writers uh, reinforce what they, you know, what what they should be entitled to in in their working lives, uh, and also offer uh, craft and career support. Thank you for that. It's it's so much like. I'm on the website a lot and I'm still like, they do this too. It's, it's such a great resource for writers and every playwright that I've talked to, I'm like, what advice do you have for young writers? And everybody's like, join the dramatist guild. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you want to be a playwright or a lyricist book writer, join the dramatist guild. Um, I would love for each of you to describe what you do, your role at the Dramatist Guild, and how these roles and your, your jobs interface with or on behalf of the member artists. Lily, I'll start with you. Sure. Um, so I am the office manager. Um, I've been the office manager for five years. Um, so it's it's one of those positions that I feel like developed as I... Um, as I continued there and started in one way, and then I sort of added things on to it. Um, but I like to say I manage our spaces. So we, uh, the one that interacts most with members um, is I manage our rehearsal space, the Mary Rogers room, which is a wonderful multi-purpose room that we use for lots and lots of things. Uh, but we rent out to our members at an extremely discounted rate for uh, the Times Square area. Um, for rehearsals or readings uh, or meetings. Sometimes people have collaboration meetings. Um, the most wonderful thing about it, I think, um, is that in the Mary Rogers room is a piano that was owned by Richard Rogers that mm. is available for members to use. Um, I just think that provides such a creative energy. Um, yes. But wow. so anyone who's interested in renting the room uh, can contact me and I'll look for availability. Uh, we try to get people in as much as possible. Um, but I also manage our office space and our digital office space uh, when we went into the pandemic um, with all our Zoom accounts. Um, and we'll get to end of play, I, I assume, in, <laughs> soon. So yes. we can talk about that later. For sure. Um, so one thing I'll say is that anybody who works in an arts organization or nonprofit knows that just because that's your job title doesn't right. mean that's necessarily the only <laughs> thing you do. So sure. I will say Lily does a stunning job at, at managing her office spaces, but she has her hands in a lot of other projects um, and is the, you know, is the creative force behind a lot of stuff, including End of Play. Um, I am the director of outreach and institutional partnerships. Uh, which is a lot of words to say that essentially what I do is um, identify some of the theaters and arts organizations across the country that are already doing great work to uplift writers uh, and find ways that we can sort of supplement each other's missions. Um, and that can be through collaborations or things like the New Visions Fellowship, which was a partnership with National Queer Theater to uplift black and trans black trans and gender nonconforming writers um and 
it also involves, uh, I think, some of the questions behind um, who are the folks who may not feel like they have a place in the American theater and identifying where those barriers lie, um, you know, specifically for, for writers, um, because that's, you know, our concentration and, and our focus. Uh, so in terms of like who's getting produced and who's not getting produced in the American theater, uh, finding ways to uplift and nurture um, the folks that we aren't that we are not necessarily reaching by uh, nature of, of who we are as an organization. Um, so that also involves, um, you know, the outreach compos- component also involves like figuring out how we show up in, in festivals and conferences around the country, uh, things like that, and how we can share our message of advocacy with other people who might need it. I love it. And you just got back from a conference, Jordan. Lily, were you at the same conference as well? No, no. Um, I usually don't uh, travel as our as our space, our office space is in New York. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Jordan, tell me about the com- the writing conference you just went to, and were you were you there personally, professionally, both? And what was a major takeaway from it? Um, I was there uh, in my station with the guilds, and so the the conference we went to is AWP, which stands for Association of Writers and Writing Programs. Um, it's one of the largest conferences of its kind in the country, so there's a lot of pressure writing on that. Um, mm. But it was really exciting. So I say AWP is, is a conference that is historically about uh, concentrated on fiction and nonfiction writers and published published works and and you see a lot of publishing houses and things like that that are that come to this mm. conference and our central message and what we've been trying to do in terms of breaking through to this crowd in the last several years is establishing that plays and musicals are also literature um, mm. because plays and musicals are also published pieces of work and mm-hmm. uh, I, I gave a panel during this and I sort of asked the audience, you know, uh, raise your hand if you read a play or a musical in your English class and everybody raised their hand. And, mm-hmm. you know, that it, it, it was showing a testament to the fact that that these kinds of that that theatrical writers deserve a place at, at these conversations. Um, so that was our big um, that was my big takeaway. And I think. I think it was received really well. Um, folks seemed really inspired and, and interested in it. And and I also think a lot of the most exciting work in the last several years has to do with crossover mediums. Um, we, we live in a really, uh, in, a, in a world where a lot of folks are doing multiple things. You have, uh, you have uh, choreo poets that are, that are doing stage works. You have, uh, spoken word poetry being infused into into theatrical works, um, and 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 honestly, a lot of um, that can that can be the nexus of of inclusion for a lot of people. Um, it's just telling them that they have a place at this kind of at this this is a possibility. So um, we did four panels. We did two virtual panels. We did two in person panels. Uh, one of which wow. I moderated. That went really well. Um, so I, I often find in these things and in these stations and Lily can probably attest to this too, that, um, you know, these are my, my station at the guild 
in some ways, I think also nurtures my life and my perspective as a creative. Um, yeah. I have learned yeah. so much. Oh, this is probably a different question. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, for my career as a writer, um, from just being at the Guild, um, I there was a, a couple of years that my desk was across from uh, Deborah Murad, who at the time was our uh, manager of our director of business affairs. And she was answering member calls and just talking about all sorts of business things. And I was sitting there and I was just absorbing it. Um, and then I was able to take that. And for pretty much all of my um, professional writing experience, I have felt empowered because of my time at the guild to negotiate mm. my own contracts and know what, like I've of course showed my contracts to our colleagues who were, you know, generous with their time um, and gave me advice, but I was able to then advocate on behalf of myself because what I learned at the Guild. And I just think it's the most wonderful resource uh, that, you know, any writer can call us up and talk to a lawyer um, and be able to be able to advocate for themselves as well. And in addition to that, um, just being the person to rent out the Mary Rogers room meant that I knew when it was available. And so I was able ah. to put my own rehearsals in there too. have yes. many readings in there, many rehearsals and collaborations. It's a great, sp I, I feel like I'm just advertising it right now. <laughs> that's not, that's not what I meant no, to do. Good. Um, but <laughs> it was a good resource for me. Um, and just cause space is so valuable in New York. Um, right. So, but mostly the contract work and I, and I have felt like I can advocate on behalf of myself and my collaborators and get fair contracts because of that. I love it. You literally answered the next question I was I realized, going to ask. I realized as I started, <laughs> but uh, so it's okay. So we'll pass it to Jordan. Um, how, how has your work at the guild influenced your own artistic projects? Uh, well, one thing I'll say is that I try and make it a challenge for myself to also participate in end of play every year, um, and which can which be tricky because there's a lot of stuff going on. But um, <laughs> but it's important for me to to remember that. Um, what I'll say is that my my role at the guild has also uh, fulfilled my artistic needs in similar ways. Um, it's given me a much more in depth understanding of the industry, um, which involves a lot of things um, and, you know, things to look out for, things to, you know, pick and choose for yourself as an artist and as a creative. Um, and I've also, um, we, we run a, an educational annex of the Guild called the Dramatist Guild Institute. Um, and I was able to, to take some courses through that as well. And um, so that helped nurture sort of the craft. And I, I would say that, um, you know, I, I did my MFA in writing for stage and broadcast media, and I still, I think I learned m more um, during my time at the Dramatist Guild Institute, to be fair, um, because of the, the kinds of people who were teaching um, and the the way in which they were approaching it. You know, the, the Institute, I think, is, is uh, full of folks who are really interested in taking their craft seriously and, and, and kind of stepping up to the next level of whatever their writing is. And the I think the teachers really encourage that. So um, I had some impactful um, 
experiences with my writing through that, uh, through the Thomas Guild Institute. Um, so I think in a lot of ways that they, they do intermingle. I will say that in my station at the guilds, I have to be, um, it is a service oriented position. Um, so I am, you know, I have to be really intentional about, um, I think what, what, um, how I'm showing up in spaces and what, what the, what the, uh, intention is. So, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm showing up to moderate a panel on behalf of the guild, um, you know, I may be able to speak a bit about my creative life, but I also sort of understand that there are certain parameters and boundaries that are, that are important, um, as a representative of the guild. Um, so in some ways I think, um, I've had to learn, and I think Lily, this this might be the same for you. How to how to navigate those spaces in terms of like what I'm what I'm here for is it, is it is it a vested interest in my creative career? Is it or is this in service of other writers? Um, so when I'm showing up in my station of the guilds, that is my primary objective: is to be in service of other writers. Um, and there will be time and space, you know, for my own creative life um, and, and other mediums and forums. Um, so in a lot of ways, um, I think it's, I think I've learned a lot. Um, and uh, I've also learned a lot from other, from other members um, and other folks in our community. Um, it's, you know, artists are quite mutually supportive. Um, so it's been great to meet a lot of folks and, and learn from them. I love it. You are also psychic. You just answered the next question I was going to ask. I'll ask it again in case there's something else that comes to mind. Um, Since you both have high profiles as arts administrators at the Dramatist Guild, do you find that people forget that you're also artists who want to be called on for creative projects? Or have you managed to strike a balance between your roles at the Dramatist Guild and fulfilling your artistic needs? I think I have found a good balance. Um, And and Jordan, I think... you'd probably say the same, but I won't speak for you. Um, there are times that, you know, um, I'm meeting my writing heroes, um, at the guild. Well, especially pre pandemic when we used to have council meetings at, at the office. Um, yeah. and it, it's hard not to say, Oh, you know, by the way, I'm, I'm also a writer. You've inspired me and, um, and all that. I need to remain, um, in your position at, at the, as the guild. Um, at the same time, I found the guild to be very supportive of my writing career. That people from the office come when I have a show up, which I find a lovely thing that they don't have to do. Um, and you, you know, always empowering me and and saying nice things uh, about um, our writing. And actually, a lot of the staff are writers, uh, and I think that also helps with our jobs as support supporters of writers, as we understand what they're going through. Um, I, I found myself um, thinking as, as myself uh, thinking about what I might want out of the guild as a writer and, and trying to put that forth um, at the guild. Jordan, do you have anything you want to add? I, I would, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think that, you know, having a background in the arts and, and writing, also, it, it helps provide the kind of um, the kind of support that is um, 
again, I try to think of what, what Lily said, try to think of like what I would want as a writer from an organization like the guilds, uh, which helps inform my work. Um, but yeah, kind of like what I said before, um, I try, I try to think about, um, I try to think about the, the two, the two different functions of, of the, of the job. So, you know, there are certain things that are required of me in my station that, that are separate from my creative life, but there are ways in which they supplement each other. Um, I, I wouldn't say that people forget that we're also artists. Um, we want to be called upon for creative projects. I mean, we, we still have the same sort of capacity to, to submit our, our plays and works, um, to, to theaters and festivals as, as anyone else. And, uh, you also see a lot of theaters and festivals and submission policies advocating for blind submissions these days, um, which also allows it to be more focused on the work and less focused on, you know, things like, um, profile and, and nepotism. So it, it does make it easy, um, to think about it that way. I, I, um, it's just like anything else or, or anyone else, you know, if you have a, if you have a job or a full-time job um, and you're balancing your creative life as well, you make time for it. Um, so I find, you know, sometimes when I'm in the offices, uh, I'll just hang out at the offices like an extra hour or so and just do my writing there. Um, Cause it is inspiring to be around that, you know, in that, in that atmosphere. Um, and yeah, it, you get to, to meet a lot of your writing heroes and, and people that you just, that you grew up reading and you're just like, wow, you're a person. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, like one of my personal writing heroes growing up was Doug Wright, who was our last, our last president and just getting to like hang out with, with Doug and like talk about um, drag for 45 minutes was like hmm. a dream come true for me. I was like, I can't yeah. believe this. Um, so it's cool to have moments like that. Yeah, for sure. Lily, who have you met that you were like, <gasps> um, well, the first person that comes to mind, um, is Steven Schwartz who wrote much, uh, you know, much of, uh, my childhood, <laughs> you know, yes. um, especially wicked, which was such an inspiring show to me. Um, yeah. Gosh, that was that was so long ago of when when I was in like middle school, high school, and then when yeah. I and he's so active at the guild, he's on like all the committees, uh, so he was there a lot, um, and I got to meet him a few times. Likewise, Alan Menken once walked into the office, and I, I got oh a little God. starstruck. Oh, you know. Oh my gosh! But wow, it, you have to try not to be starstruck and uh, remain uh, remain professional. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how well I would do, depending on who it was. I don't know how well I would do with that. Like, oh, it's you. Uh, You get used to it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's get right into it. What is End of Play and who can participate? So End of Play is a national playwriting and composing month. Anybody can participate, uh, member or not. That was very important to us when we started this four years ago. just as a as an entry point into the guild, um, as a programming that has no barriers that anyone uh, can benefit from that that the guild is providing. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so basically, it's a challenge to um, write a new play or musical in one month. Um, 
we're hoping that the the, the deadline, um, as well as the community programming um, that we've integrated into it, um, will help motivate people and get them to the finish line um, in one month, which is it's a you know it's a challenge, um, but hopefully an exciting one. Yeah. What was the genesis of this program? Um, so um, I originally had the idea, um, again, like as an employee of the Guild and a writer, um, I was always think, trying to think of what I would want the Guild to be doing. Um, and I, so I had the idea and originally I was like, and everyone like around the country can, uh, you know, get together and shout end of play at the, at the last day. It was like the first vision I had for it. Um, but I remember going over to Jordan, uh, who did like more outreach type of things. And, And as Jordan mentioned before, when you work for an arts organization, you often do things that are just not part of your job description. And, Yep. You know, normally office managers are not uh, creating um, creative programming, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. But you know, when you have the idea and you know, they let you continue with it, which I was so happy about. Anyway, I went to uh, Jordan and we we bounced ideas off one another and sort of developed it on the fly. And I have this great memory of the very first year, like three days before the it was supposed to be starting, individually uploading every of the a thousand members that signed up. Oh my God. <laughs> I forgot about that. As we were trying to figure out, um, oh. how, how, uh, how to do this. Um, it's gotten more smooth since then. Um, but that, that first year, just figuring it out as we went. Um, and then the pandemic hitting like 10 days into, um, into the month and having to pivot everything to online was, uh, fly by the seat of our pants that first year. Um, but people found it uh, really helpful, um, you know, in an unexpected way during the pandemic, um, having a community to lean on when everyone just got really isolated, like more than you are mm-hmm. normally when you're a playwright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Lily, Lily covered a lot of, a lot of it already. I'll just say, um, I, I remember when Lily came to me with this idea, she was like, I don't know about this. You know, I just had this, I don't know. And I was like, yes, we need to do that. That's awesome. Um, and it, and it was so, it, it was so, I think it was received beyond anyone's expectations in the first year, especially, um, which is why, you know, I was saying we were, there was like a couple of days we were just going through this Excel spreadsheet from top to bottom. Like we need to get this in. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it came as well from the genesis of like, we have 10,000 members. Um, we have all of these things uh, in terms of like how we can support them, um, but never like a hands-on answer to the, the, the question or like the need of like, uh, you know, I have this thing that I've been thinking about writing and, and I just, I don't know, you know, I've been, it's been in my sock drawer forever. Like, I don't know if it's like, I'm good enough to do it or blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. I think people just needed that kick to be yeah. like, here is the permission for you to do something you don't think that you can. Um, mm-hmm. And we do as much as we can throughout the month to, to just like completely like to put as many resources behind it as possible in terms of support. Um, and um, 
it just stuck. I mean, I think that we tapped into something. It's that need for people to come together and say, you know, you're not alone. Um, you can do this. Uh, anyone can write a play. And mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be written. Mm -hmm. um, and in 30 days, um, you can either you can either do something you didn't think you were capable of doing, or you can, if you're maybe a more experienced writer, you can maybe finally work out that idea that like you've been keeping, keep putting to the side. Um, and and I use that for myself. Like I'll I'll have. Like, for example, right this year, I'm planning to work on a play that I've been meaning to rewrite. That was one of my thesis plays for, for mm. my MFA. And I just put it in a sock drawer after after my MFA. And I was like, I'm going to let this breathe a little bit. And I keep thinking, like, I should go back to that script. That was a cool idea. Mm -hmm. And it's not doing it. So I'm going to do it this year. It's like, yeah, yeah. just got to do it. You know, it's <laughs> for funny. sure. I get, um, I get emails every year with people who write in and say, am I allowed to participate in end of play with this concept or this idea, or can I do it with one act or can I do it with a collection of songs? And I, I laugh a little bit, but then I think, no, these people, they need, like, they, they want the permission. Um, like, right. Of course you can. The end of play is here for you so that you mm -hmm. can work out your ideas. There there's, you know, if you wanted to write a 10 minute play and take the whole month to do it, like, of course you can, it's for you. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's really helpful for me, especially to have a container in which to write as opposed to like, just an open ended, yeah, do it whenever, because then I just won't do it. Uh, so I already have my play planned out for what I'm going to work on for end of play. So yeah, so I'm, I'm scared and excited to do that. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm curious to know, um, on the admin side, uh, is the bulk of your work in preparation for end of play or during end of play? And what do those tasks look like? I think the majority of work comes before. Um, and every yeah. year we try to expand a little bit um, and make new collaborations. Um, like like this year we've connected uh, with uh, Drama Bookshop. Um, so they're mm. going to have a table out, which is so exciting. Um, and a, a a drink named after us, but I won't give away the surprise because it'll be released Ooh. later on. Um, okay. And last year we start uh, we connected with uh, DGI, who um, Jordan mentioned earlier. But it's just making those connections early on, um, working with the communications department who uh, make graphics and put out social media posts and get the word out. Um, and I think during the month, it's connecting with the writers themselves, people uh, writing with questions. We have um, we have events that uh, people participate in nationally and regionally. And every year we try to offer more. Um, but yeah, so I think the work changes. Um, but I, I do. Th I think there's more in the planning. We usually start in December. It's always mm. earlier than we think we need to, but then November. we're always rushing yep. at the end. Yeah. Oh, it was no yep. yeah, it was November this year. We're like, well, yeah. this feels really early, like it just ended yesterday, but um, <laughs> but then we're always in crunching or crunch time in uh, in March anyway. So um, yep, you know. yeah, it's a massive it's a massive undertaking, um, and and we we start in November because there's a lot that goes into it. From you know each of those daily emails that goes out has to be written and proofed. 
Um, each of the uh, workshop leaders has to be confirmed. Um, we confirm our programming. Um, we uh, do. We have to, you know, plan things like outreach and and um, and and strategize what the support looks like each year. Um, and then during the actual month, um, you know, we're we're focused on the administration of those workshops, um, making sure that people have what they need. And also our collaboration with the 24-hour plays. So, yes. so I don't think that's something mm. we've talked about yet. It's just that um, anybody who participates in End of Play uh, can submit to have a closed private reading of their work um, where 24-hour plays casts from a pool of volunteer performers to read their script out loud for the first time. And they get that for free, free of charge um, at the end of end of play, um, this, usually the second week afterwards. So we work with 24 hour plays to put that together and make sure everybody, um, has, is paired together for that. And, um, they also, it's a closed reading, but you have the opportunity to, to, um, include artistic collaborators. If you want to invite like a dramaturg or director or trusted artistic, um, partner in any capacity, um, so yeah, and then yeah, the the expansion. So thinking about what else we can do, um, and we're trying. I think this year in particular um, to try and uh, now that we're back from uh, mostly from COVID, um, figure out how to work with spaces like venues, theaters, arts organizations to to bring them into in person um, theater culture. And the Drama Bookshop has been a great um, collaborator in that. It's so great. It just, it gets bigger and richer every year. And I love it. Um, one thing I noticed that I have to ask is that on uh, like the initial end of play page, it says April is national playwriting month. So join us for end of play. Did the dramatist guild invent that invent national playwriting months just so they could run end of play during that time? Or was that something that was already in place before? I think we invented it. I think we decided to call it National Playwriting Month because because of end of play. So. Yeah, end of end of play. End of play came first. Yeah. Yeah. End okay. of play came first, and it actually was originally in March, but we it moved was. it okay. to April. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. I was like, uh, as a marketer, I have suspicions about <laughs> the coincidence of this. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for confirming that for me. Um, I love it. I mean, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to, to get the plays written. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm curious uh, who writes and, and vets all of the writing prompts that come every day um, into our inboxes. And um, if you, one of you are one of the writers of that, which, which tip are you the most proud of that you've written? Gosh. So the, the emails uh, the first year, um, it was half prompts and half inspirational quotes. Um, mm. And I came up with all the prompts in the first year. Um, and I sourced the quotes from our council members and our coping calendar um, with their permission, of course. Um, <laughs> it, it was a lot. Um, and I, I got, I thought back to my experience as a writer and, and in school and uh, different classes that I've taken and what, has worked for me um and move forward um in the 
second year um, and the third year, um, we sourced the prompts from DGI instructors and council members um, who were more than happy to contribute. Um, and, and it was good. And I felt like it wasn't all my voice. Um, mm-hmm. And this year is sort of a, a, a combo. Um, some of the prompts um, I'm pretty excited about. I, I got a little creative with this year. Um, okay. But I think one that has always been very useful for me is setting a timer and just saying, mm. uh, you know, in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to write this scene and whatever happens at the, by the end of the 15 minutes. And that's what I've written. Um, or like do that, but uh, start it with a sentence from the book that's sitting closest to you. Um, those I find those prompts to be the most helpful. But I got a little creative with them this year. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy them. Ooh. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> and Jordan wrote some of the emails this year too. Um, it was something the last three years that I took on personally, um, just because I. I felt really connected to that part of it. And I liked speaking directly to the participants. Um, Mm -hmm. This year uh, I have a baby and I have uh, lots going on. And I, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know that I have the time to really think and write the best with my best foot forward for every email. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jordan is very much the voice of this, of end of play also. Um, And so I asked them to, to step in and, I think you did a good job. <laughs> awesome. What kinds of success stories and feedback have come from past participants of End of Play? Oh gosh, it's so nice. I And I've heard several times when somebody will either comment on our social media or send an email in and say, the play that I wrote last year for End of Play is now a finalist at the Eugene O'Neill conference mm. or is getting a production in my hometown. Um, or I've done three drafts of it and now we're having our first staged reading. Uh, and that is just the, the dream for this, um, that, you know, the plays that people that are born out of end of play then go on to have mm-hmm. a life. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Um, it's really touching to see all of the, the different journeys that these take um, and and how people continue on with it after the month. Um, we hear a lot of those those kinds of stories. Um, and yeah, sometimes all it takes is, is a prompt to say that you can't. Um, uh, we, we receive, I think, uh, April has become one of our most engaged months uh, with, with membership in general. Uh, and I think that's because people are so passionate about what what it what it does and, and the act, the actual activity of writing together. Um, so generally speaking, um, it, it creates a, a lot of um, positive inspirational energy for folks, and uh, we hear a lot of gratitude and mutual support and success, the forming of new relationships, creative relationships, collaborations, uh, writers groups, um, longstanding um, creative relationships. Uh, I know groups of, of folks who are still meeting to write with the folks they met mm. during end of play. Um, mm-hmm. And so it goes even beyond the script. It, it go, it, the second portion is community. 
and and the folks that you meet and and that is another way for people to to form new creative uh relationships that they're able to nurture uh and support each other with throughout the rest of their careers that's so great how do you see end of play evolving over the next few years um well my dream is that we keep getting more um organizational collaborators and that it grows and um, that people who maybe didn't know that they could write plays or normally would write uh, prose would try their hand at playwriting and um, and through that hear about Drama to Skilled and know about all the wonderful program that programming that we have um, all year long. I would agree with that. I think, you know, now that we're, we're, We've been do- now that we've done this for four years. I think we have a good grasp on on what it is and how to do it internally, like in, in terms of what what we do uh, in our day to day work. Um, so now that we've got a good infrastructure where we feel like we're able to to reach out and support artists in new ways and and directly, you know, speak to them. Um, I, I'm really interested in figuring out how it can exist in, in theaters and organizations. Um, I'm also interested in that that cross-section of how end of play can promote awareness for writers in mm-hmm. the industry um, simply by coming together and by being a force, which is the whole reason the Guild was created in the first place, um, is power in numbers. And if uh, I feel like I'm giving my secret away here, but I, I like if a theater and organization says this seems cool and a good way to invite my community in, and then they see that there's 30 writers, you know, filling up their cafe on a given day that they didn't know existed, mm. maybe they'll start. Maybe they'll start thinking about the theater writer in a different light in a different context throughout the rest of their programming and seasoning or in mm. programming in seasons. Uh, sorry, not a cooking. little paprika. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's, that's, you know, it's, it's the second, that's another, you know, function of this is, is, is visibility for writers um, and showing and, and showing up in spaces together where we're able to um, um, bring, bring light back to that. And, so having, I think, folks showing up in spaces and, and working on this and having visibility also helps create lasting relationships with, with theaters and organizations um, that will hopefully um, open more conversations throughout the year. Yeah, and actually something you said a, a while ago about when you meet your heroes, realize that they're real people who really did this work. Um, I don't know about you, but in high school and you do a musical, you never think of the writers of the musical or play that you're doing as real right. people. They're just this entity. Yeah. And so that if people, you know, if you need to change the words because your school board doesn't like using swear words, you know, you don't think about how that's changing the message that somebody spent a really long time crafting, but yep. maybe, uh, you know, in the, in the far future, if end of play becomes such, such a force, maybe schools will participate with their students and then students will realize at that time that it takes people to write plays and they can do it too. And they wouldn't want people changing their words. And so maybe they can stand up to their school boards, you know, think for sure. (laughs) 
For sure. So we encourage everybody to sign up for end of play. Period. Even if you don't know what you want to write yet, just do it. Just sign up. That's right. Figure uh, it out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll help. There's, there's writing prompts and inspiration every day. You'll figure it out. Just sign up. So this is 101 stage adaptations. So I want to know what are some of your favorite stage adaptations? We'll start with Jordan. I love Grey Gardens. Um, mm. I think Grey Gardens is one of my favorite things ever made um, <laughs> <laughs> for the stage. Uh, I mean, that's uh, so I, I remember when I went to go see it, um, I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what the story was. I did not know the documentary. I did not know anything about it. And I just went on the recommendation of like a theater teacher that I had in high school. And my friend, my friend Colleen and I, we won the lottery uh, for that. And we sat in the front row. And I remember we were on our way to the airport and we had our luggage with us. So we had our suitcases under our chairs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, um, and we saw, you know, the whole first act takes place in like the past. And then the second act takes place in like the world of the documentary as we know, them, as we know the characters. And we saw, we went through the first act and we were like, oh, this is good. This is cute. And then the second act opened. We were like, what is this? <laughs> um, I, I just love it. I've like, I've gone on to do a drag act inspired by that musical mm. um, and it opened up a whole a whole thing for me. I have to say, I love Grey Gardens. This is great. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah. One of um, my favorite shows of all time is Susicle. And I've been a part of it five times in different capacities. Oh! I know. Like twice as a performer. I directed it once. Assistant directed it. Um, did like taught it to kids and did it with community theater. Um, I just think it's one of the most creative adaptations and involves so many different I, I just think uh, Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty are geniuses. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that lightly. Um, they to, to weave all those stories together. And it's been uh, so inspiring for me and my own work. I always love a show with a huge ensemble and lots of plot lines uh, that all tie together. Um, and I also love a good family show. That's it's straddling the line between uh, TYA um, and shows for you know it's a show for everybody that everyone yes whole family can enjoy for sure i love it lily uh you and i have something in common and that is we both love baking mm. um i am a cupcake queen um what are your favorite things to bake and are you like me and that you use treats as a way to make friends <laughs> um i guess i i you could say that i um I bake for comfort. Uh, if I'm, if I find I'm getting anxious or my mind uh, is too busy, I find doing something with my hands, um, that, you know, something that makes everybody happy at the end, uh, it really helps me work through problems. Um, uh, my favorite things to bake are pies, um, especially mm. fruit pies. I love blueberry pie. Um, and I love coming up to coming into a party with a pie and people are very impressed <laughs> um, yes you know i i like to uh to make the crust the day before um and do the nice filling and um i feel good about myself when it's done and everybody enjoys it right because who doesn't yeah. love pie it's and amazing e and even now i like i love to show up to social gatherings with um with a treat for sure um so, so my next question will be for both of you, but I'll, I'll, I'll um, 
change up the phrasing a little bit, uh, Jordan, um, how has the pandemic affected the world of drag and how it is performed or consumed? Okay. Um, well, um, it was an interesting couple of years. I'm not going to lie because, you know, I think the spirit of drag is that it is, it is an exchange. And the reason why you see it so much in, 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 um, in bars and and in cabaret venues is because it's, it's a very, like, it's very grassroots, like visceral, uh, unkept art form of exchange and community. And uh, obviously we didn't have those informal spaces anymore um is the first to go so as i'm sure most people know like we pivoted a lot of a lot of uh, drag artists to doing uh digital drag and like creating our own drag shows and that worked for a while i think probably the first six months or so and i'll say there was a lot of reasons people were doing that there was the reason of that it was just such a need for people like drag can be a real survival mechanism for some queer people. Um, and, and in terms of actualizing who they are and how they appear and, and how they, um, how they are perceived in their queerness uh, or, or actualizing their own power. Um, it, it's a real vessel for that. So to be cut off from that was really, I think, detrimental to a lot of people. Um, and also it's a lot of people's livelihoods and, and in any other w- you know, artistic concentration will know that when the world shut down during the pandemic, people didn't have ways of making their livelihoods and their living. And so digital drag was like the, the, the answer to that. And people didn't make the kind of money they needed to, unfortunately, right. but it also helped people, you know, sort of come together in really exciting ways. There were these massive drag festivals. Uh, Boulangerie was one of them. We had like, uh, I hosted, it was like a live hosting show that took place over four hours. And mm-hmm. I was literally, I was just sat in my bedroom with like a bed sheet draped behind me. And like, <laughs> I just sat there having the best time of my life for four hours. And it was great. It was like very affirming and stuff. But since the pandemic, I would say that um, things have things have shifted a little bit. Um, I would say that there is a huge focus on representation right now, uh, as in many other industries, but specifically on the people who aren't getting supported, like drag kings, non-binary artists, um, trans artists, etc. I would also say that um, there is... um, Yeah, a, a refocus on like how we can how we can sort of support each other, I think. In London, there's like a big desire for unionizing um, and, mm. and, and uh, figuring that out because there's a lot of the same reason the guild formed in the first place. Um, yeah. So. Anyway. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that. I love it. Uh, Lily, um, how has the pandemic affected how musical theater is created and consumed? Uh, you know, it's fascinating uh, because a lot of um, theater shifted to online, um, but there there was this issue with Zoom and um, sound um, in terms of live 
performance, it was very difficult to do a live performance of a musical. People had to find ways around that. Um, during the pandemic, um, I put on like, I don't know if I would do it again, um, but I was supposed to have a reading of one of my musicals um, in April of 2020, which of course got canceled. And we thought, well, we can do it digitally. But by the time you've recorded all of the music and this show that, like I said, I do ambitious shows with huge ensembles and many, many <laughs> songs, this show, 22 songs and like barely any dialogue. And we thought, well, how are we supposed to do a reading of this on Zoom? Like with the sound and we'd have to be pre-recording all the songs anyway. And so we ended up just making a digital production, which was mm. such a, I don't know if, like, again, I don't know if I would do it like this way again, um, but it, it was just the ingenuity of people and having to intersect with the film world. We worked with like a film editor and we mm -hmm. were shipping props across the country because we had actors in four time zones and trying to um, um, sing together, um, but apart, um, which mm -hmm. I, which was never quite the same. Um, yeah. But, you know, people did the best that they could. Um, and I've seen a ton of these, uh, especially, uh, there was a huge surge in TikTok musicals, which I don't know a lot about. Um, I'm kind of an old fart in that way. I don't know anything Same. about TikTok, but they kept coming, yeah. and you know, people are singing what is together. <laughs> None of us know. Um, but yes, um, actually, I, I I would want to share that the first time that I was in a room with people singing together again, I was moved to tears. Um, just just even though it was rough, you know, it was the first time, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe people didn't get all the notes right, but just hearing voices in a room together singing moved me to tears the first time. It was, it was really lacking, I think during the pandemic, but it brought out the ingenuity of artists and that, um, uh, that people are going to keep theater alive, no matter how people say, if it, you know, that, is, is theater going away in, in the age of uh, streaming and all that? Uh, I don't think it will ever go away if we can survive the pandemic and then bring our voices back together. Uh, we can survive anything. Mm, we can. Thank you for that. Um, so my final theater question is, if you found a magic lamp with Dionysus inside and he could grant you one theater wish, what would you wish for? We'll start with Lily. Gosh, that's a large question. Um, I would, I want the opportunity to be larger. I want everyone to be able to be included. Um, I I, I wish we could be in a world um, where we're uplifting each other's stories in, um, and not competing against each other in that way. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll leave it back there. I love it. Jordan? I think, yeah, I think my wish would be resources. I think my wish would be, um, would be resources and access uh, for, for theater. And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of this, a lot of this uh, competition and, and, and energy that, that we're talking about stems from this, you know, of coming from a place of scarcity. Um, and we live in a world where, um, where, access to arts funding um, is is difficult um, and and tricky to maneuver 
I think a lot of the complexes that we are consistently dealing with in our industry uh, stem from people's uh, financial models and how, you know, what they're scared of or, or what they're scared, what in terms of like survival, what they think works and what they, you know, people can sometimes feel less permission to take risks because they're scared to in terms of, of resources and funding. Um, and we live in a country that, that, you know, we see time and time again, that comes under fire. Um, so I would say access to resources and funding um, so that people have their permission to open up communities in different ways and not feel as, you know, we won't be able, we could weed out that factor as, as a reason why people aren't doing more to, to create uh, incubational pipelines for new, for new artists and focus on the people who are making theater from the ground up. Um, and also give them fair livelihoods um, where they're not struggling to make ends meet. Um, that would be my wish for, from Dionysus. We'll see. We'll see what he what they have to say. <laughs> I love it. Well, one resource we want to remind everybody of is End of Play. Um, tell everyone where they can learn more about that program and how to sign up, and um, and where people can follow you both individually for your next artistic projects and all of that. Uh, you should head over to the Dramatists Guild website, dramatistsguild.com. Remember, Dramatists has an S at the end. Uh, you'll, you'll get there, and there's a whole uh, page on our website uh, for end of play. So you can find out about joining, about past years, um, more about our history. Um, and did I miss somewhere, Jordan? Uh, I don't think so. Um yeah, dramaskill.com slash end of play. Yeah, that's the um, and it we'll be posting about it on social media, the Dramatist Guild on, on Instagram, uh, Twitter if you're still on that, um, Facebook. Uh yeah, you can sign up in all those places and um Dramatist Guild website. Yeah. That's that's where you find out about it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Do you do either of you have any personal projects you want to plug that are upcoming? Uh, um, I think everything that I'm working on is pretty developmental at this point. I don't um, think I have a big show or anything uh, to just uh, just readings coming up and uh, working on things. I'll probably take end of play to to get back to craft also. For sure. All right. So we'll stay tuned for your upcoming work that's still in development. Yeah, I would also say similarly, I'm in between projects. Um, I work constantly on a, uh, on Fussy, uh, which is the the, um, uh, the series of queer spaces that I run in London with my co-producer, Lori May, uh, in residence at Dawson Superstore. So if you're in London and you're a queer person and you want to come hang with us, please do. We do it every second friday of every other month um so that that keeps going on um and then you can follow me on new play exchange uh lily i think you're on new play exchange too yes um i have some of my some of my writing uploaded there uh jordanstoval.com um also has all of my um social links and stuff if you want to check out 
all of the different things. Uh, I'm on Instagram as uh, at Wanda.whatever. Um, you can also visit my website, uh, lilydwaskin.com, um, for demos of songs that I've written um, and more about different projects for licensing. Um, and I take commissions as well. Excellent. I'm going to have all of that in the show notes for everybody to check out. Thank you both so much for joining me today. This was so fun. Thank you for having us. This was a blast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. All right. I can't wait to see all of you at the end of end of play when we've all created something new and amazing. Yes. We'll have a big cup of coffee Mm -hmm. at the end. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of 101 Stage Adaptations. If you liked it, I hope you'll forward to a friend today. Sharing is caring, and word of mouth is still the best form of advertising. So I hope you'll share it with someone today. 101 Stage Adaptations is produced by me, Melissa Schmitz, with the help of Hello Podcast Media. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.